As we do every Sunday, I invite you to open your Bibles, if you brought them, to Daniel chapter 6, about two-thirds of the way back in your Bible. Daniel chapter 6, if you didn't bring one, we have some black ones in the seat rack in front of you. It should say NIV on the end of it, and if you just turn to page 618, that'll take you to Daniel chapter 6, as we continue in our No Matter What series this summer, where we're studying the book of Daniel and his life. And uh, as you're turning there, let me just tell you something that happened to me years ago that still made a big impression on me. Uh, I went to a conference uh, a number of times over several years, and at this conference, uh, the volunteers in this large conference uh, all wore the same badge, and it, it said three words that I cannot get out of my mind. Here to serve. Here to serve. And I remember thinking to myself, I could tell that that wasn't just a badge for them. The spirit in which they served and the way that they offered to help, the way they offered to welcome or can I assist you in some way, it made a real impression on me. And so uh, would you mind just saying those three words with me, okay? Here to serve. And uh, just think about this. What happens to a human being when they begin to understand that that's why they're here? Here to serve. Not to be served, but to serve. What happens when parents teach their children and a family begins to capture the vision of what they can be if they're here to serve? What happens in a church family when more and more people say, I get it. Jesus Christ saved me so that I could be here to serve. It's a powerful thing. In fact, years ago, I remember being struck by 2 Corinthians 5, 14, and 15. It says this, for the love of Christ compels us. It's what moves us forward. It's what motivates us. Not guilt, not other things, but it's the love of Christ that compels us. For we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised again for their sake. And so every person that's come to know Christ, at some point, if you've met Jesus Christ and you've become born-again Christian, what it means is, is that you've realized that you actually were living this way before Christ, here to be served. And that was the problem. And that Christ calls us in our guilt and sin to acknowledge that, to change our mind, and to receive his amazing grace so that from now on, the one who came to serve and not be served, Christ himself can live in our hearts and we can no longer live for ourselves but for him who died for us. But I don't know about you, but I still get that backwards sometimes. I still need ongoing reminders. And so as we study chapter six this week, we're gonna see if you're following along in the notes that no matter what changes, no matter what changes, Daniel knows he's here to serve. Daniel knows He's here to serve. And we're going to see this idea of serve several times. You'll see the word servant or serve three times. And so that's where I get that idea. And the message title today is serve him. If you and I want to know what God's purpose for our life is, is he's called us to serve him and his interests. Whenever you talk about serving someone, what it means is that you place their interest above your own. That you actually put them first before yourself. And again, that can get all distorted. I know that can be done with all different kinds of motives. But what I'm talking about is what we're going to see in Daniel's life today. Here to serve. Here to serve. 
So would you pray with me before we look at this chapter, and um, then I'll, uh, we'll walk through it. And I hope that you're going to see today what happened with Daniel. I, I just asked you to pray, and, and I know I sometimes make you move your heads back and forth like that, and then I talk. Uh, but what I want to say is this. If, if even outside the church, if you said the word Daniel, what would be the next phrase that comes to most people's minds? The lion's den, right? And we're going to look at this famous passage where Daniel is thrown into the lion's den, and we're going to be, see what got him there. But as we think about that, we're also going to see what helped him be faithful and keep serving no matter what. We're going to see the secret of his life, something that God taught him and God can teach us. So now uh, let's actually bow our heads like I suggested before. Lord, oh, we need you, God. We need you in order to be faithful in a world like this. We need you to just be able to learn what you taught Daniel. Would you teach us, God? I know I need it as much as anyone. We are so grateful for you. And we're ready to listen now as you teach us. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, one thing I need to ask you to do is um, if you would help me by changing that first gray box that says Daniel 6.11, would you change it to Daniel 6.10 and then I'll feel a lot less anxiety about the fact I made a mistake with the number. Um, what I wanna tell you is this. When I say no matter what changes, here's what you need to know. Sometimes when we picture Daniel in the lion's den, we picture a young guy in the lion's den. But as Brian helped us see last week, Daniel's much older now. In fact, uh, if you have uh, the bifold with you, some of you got it the first week, and some of you, uh, there are some ones I'm told in the seat racks near the Bibles. If you don't already have one, you want to pull it out. You can see that the dates are approximate, but in this dark green line, we see the timeline of Daniel's life. About 605 years before Christ, Daniel comes on the scene uh, in, in, the, in this way. He's, he's about 15 years old. He was born 15 years before. But Daniel comes on the scene because he is exiled by King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, taken back to Babylon. He's forced to leave his home, his family, everything he knows. And so over a period of time, we see different accounts of what happened in his life. Now we come to chapter 6, late in his life. The next six chapters are going to be about some of the visions that he had during his lifetime. So just know that. But notice that it says that uh, there are about 68 or 70 years have passed from the time he first came. So if you can picture 15 years old to about 80, maybe 85, you've got the idea of how old Daniel probably is. So now he's an older guy, and you want to talk about change. As you get older, that's a change that's challenging sometimes, isn't it? Uh, if you um, already have this, uh, you know, bifold, if you don't mind putting it back so other people in the next service could have it there, that would be great. Now let's look at this account of Daniel in the lion's den and see what helped Daniel be able to live a here-to-serve life with God faithfully. Um, let me just read uh, verses 1 through 3 of Daniel 6, and then we're going to walk through it. It pleased Darius. Now notice, this is the king that was mentioned in the last verse of chapter 5 last week, but this is a different king than Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar. So now he's in a different king, different culture, a different nation is ruling, Persia and Medes, and so he's got to get used to that. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps, which were governors over regions. Fifty years later, when we study the book of Esther, we find that there was 127 provinces in Persia. It means that it was even bigger by then. 
But when you have a government that big, you have a region to cover that big, you look for ways to govern it properly, and so they use these satraps or governors of certain regions with three administrators over those 120 satraps, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Can I just pause? We're in a capital city here in Illinois, Springfield. Does anybody notice that the larger government gets or the larger the area you have to oversee, the possibilities for theft, corruption, greed, misuse of power? I mean, would anybody possibly be able to understand that in here in the capital city? <laughs> so what do, what do leaders do? In order to assure that that doesn't happen, they try and set honorable people over those responsibilities. Does it always happen? No. We're going to see in that story, it doesn't always happen. But notice verse 3. It says, now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And this is interesting. If you're following along in the notes, here's what I hope you'll see. That Daniel's work and excellent spirit stand out to Darius, the king. Daniel's work and excellent spirit, the New International says his exceptional qualities. The English Standard Version says his excellent spirit. Have you ever been around someone with an excellent spirit? I'll tell you, you it stands out to you. Believer or unbeliever alike, when someone has an excellent spirit, you notice it. And the way that his excellent spirit showed up is the way he did his work. Someone might say, Jeff, like, like, if I'm like, here to serve, like, how would that show up in everyday life? One of the main ways is how you do your work. Whether it's in something that's an actual business or it's something at home, however you and I do our daily work is a testimony. It is a witness. And we either have an excellent spirit about it or we don't. I don't know if you've uh, seen Colossians 3, 23 and 24 of the New Testament talks about this. Let's read it together out loud. Whatever you do, stop. Let's read that again. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So whatever you do, might be menial, might be an actual job, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Pour yourself into, give yourself to it. Have an excellent spirit, not a mediocre spirit, not half-hearted. And so again, think about this. If you and I want to serve the Lord with our lives, then the way that we spend most of our time each week at our jobs or what is our responsibilities matters. It matters. Now, Daniel could have said, I don't even like this country. I don't even like this king. I don't even like being here. I don't like getting older. I don't like being 80. No, he said, no matter what changes, I'm here to serve. And I'm going to work at it with all my heart. Can I just say, if you can imagine what, what the power of our church family is if every person that watched any of us in this church family watched the way we did our work and they said, they have an excellent spirit. What a profound impact that would have. I like what William Carr Peel says. He says this, As far as God is concerned, our most basic responsibility in serving him is doing our work with excellence. Nothing is more discrediting to your Christian witness and mind than mediocrity in our work. 
The first thing men and women around us will notice is the quality of our work. If they see shoddy or mediocre work, they will fail to respect our faith. Oh man, it really does matter if we live with a here-to-serve spirit and an excellent spirit in our work. And I'd love to tell you that if you'll just do that, man, your life will just go well. But Daniel did that, and his life got worse. Why? Because if you didn't know this already, there are some people that aren't excited when you decide to have a here-to-serve excellent work ethic. Because they don't want to have that. In the United States, the work ethic has dropped dramatically. And whenever I see someone working hard at any business, I try and say, way to go. You stand out. Thank you for giving yourself. And man, we need that. And we need that more than ever. And I know it's tempting to cruise. I know it's tempting to just ride things out. But man, the Lord is asking us to serve in that way. And notice what happens next when Daniel is faithful that way. It gets him in trouble. Verse 4. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel. Why? Because he's going to be promoted above them. And they don't want that because they know there's something about his excellent spirit that may expose them. And for charges against Daniel, they, they, the administrators and state traps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man unless it has something to do with the law of his God. In other words, this guy is so consistent in his life, the only way we're going to be able to frame him is to find out something that he's doing that's good, that's right, that's God-honoring, and make it illegal. Now, that's an incredible thing right there. But Now, if you're following along in the notes, notice, envious, jealous, Daniel's co-workers look for dirt to ruin him. They look for dirt. I've shared before that when I was working in the marketplace before I became a pastor, I felt the pressure sometimes just to not work in an excellent way. And I, there were times I've shared stories in the past where I had to go back and make things right with my employer. If the Holy Spirit is bringing anything to your mind right now that is not excellent in your work, then I ask you to obey him and do whatever it takes to make that right that you might be an honorable person in this community and that you might be honorable in God's sight because he wants to help you do that. He wants you to give your all in everything you do, including your work. But notice this next part is, if you're following along in the notes, as a group, they tricked Darius into signing a decree. As a group, that's a big phrase, by the way. It gets used in verse 6, verse 11, verse 15. Have you ever noticed that there can be very, very destructive peer pressure? that sometimes you can actually be okay with doing evil if you do it as a group. And as a group, man, they all banded together and said, let's get rid of that guy. And they got this king. They tricked him. Let me read these verses as I go on. Verse 6. So the administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed. We're going to find out this is a lie. Daniel's not included in those meetings. They haven't all agreed, but that's the way they present themselves. That the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. 
Now, those are some serious consequences. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. I've often asked myself, was Darius, I mean, did they just appeal to his ego? Did they just say, hey, if you think about this, this will establish your power. If anybody messes with you or doesn't give you everything you ask them to do, you can find out if there's any, like, people that are betraying you. All we know is that Darius said, I guess since you guys all agreed, it's got to be a good idea, so he signed it. The only person that hadn't been part of any of those meetings was who? Daniel. So now we come to a moment of truth. If Daniel prays, he's dead. It's lion's den time. So what's he going to do? Think about it. Wouldn't that be a great... Don't you think some excuses went through his mind? I'm 80. I've been serving you already. Doesn't that count for something? Can I take a 30-day break? I'll be back. Any of those things. Hey, God, surely, maybe, maybe I'll just pray in my mind different than I've been praying. No, look what he does. Let's read verse 10 that you corrected in that first grade box. Let's read it together. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published... He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. If you're following along, Daniel still prays just as he had done before. This is powerful, friends. This is powerful. He did not all of a sudden say, I think I'm going to follow God now. He'd already been doing that. What he had to decide is, am I going to keep following God, even if it costs me? Wow, what a picture. What a picture. His windows were open towards Jerusalem because as King Solomon had said when he dedicated the temple, which had now been destroyed, that if anyone, you know, looked from a foreign land and they prayed toward Jerusalem, that God would hear their prayer. And so Daniel's doing that, praying in faith, knowing that someday Jerusalem might be rebuilt. And it was later. But Daniel had to wait 70 years for that hope of that to even be possible. But he kept doing that faithfully all these years. He got down on his knees. What is there about getting down on our knees that sometimes can just say a lot, both to us and to God? Three times a day, he prayed, and he gave thanks to God just as he had done before. He gave thanks to God just as he had done before. I don't think he said, thank you, God, for that decree. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you're going to help me. I don't know what to do. Thank you. And so it tells us that they come, they find them. Let me continue. Um, it says, so these men, then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Can I pause and say, I've been thinking this week, what, what, what does that mean when he asked God for help? Was his prayer something like this? Oh, God. Help me live. Or was it, oh God, help me serve you no matter what? Did his prayers become a recalibrating time where he could say, oh, I still want to put my interests above yours right now. But in prayer right now, I'm going to ask you to help me keep your interest above my own because I believe that will be a better way to live 
in the long run. What I might get temporarily will be nothing compared to what you can do in people's lives if I will serve your interest above my own. Oh God, help me. I love that. Then it goes on and says, so they went, then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about the royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, should be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah. Friends, I want you to notice there is a total touch of racism right here. They're saying, he's not one of us. He's a bad dude. He still prays three times a day. And when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went once again as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. Would you read verse 16 with me in that second gray box? So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. What I want you to do is, I mean, again, most of us have been to zoos, so maybe you've seen a lion before. That's how most of us have. But here's a couple artistic renderings of Daniel in this lion's den. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know what it's like to stand that close to lions that are hungry, but I'm guessing it's unpleasant. And here's just another picture of him standing there. And in the, in the lion's den, I don't, and here's just a picture. Some of you have watched shows like this. Some of you, you know, may need to turn away, but here's a picture of what lions can do. They have this ability to rip and tear and bite and jump on with their weight and crush, and it's just incredible. They're an amazing animal. And in those days, they had a way of getting rid of undesirables by having lion's dens. Now, no one wanted to go there. I'm sure Daniel didn't say, oh, if I could just go to the lion's den, that would be living. <laughs> but when he realized what was up against him, he knew, I, I got to make a choice here. I got to decide. What do I do? What do I do? And he decided, I'm still going to pray. I'm still going to seek God, no matter what. Not because I'm some spiritually superior person. I'm actually weak in myself. I'm an ordinary person, but God can help me. If I will live with a here-to-serve spirit instead of here-to-be-served spirit. Oh, man. Well, the story goes on. Let me read a little further. It says... A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of the nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Is anybody in a situation right now that doesn't seem like it can be changed? You're totally shut up to faith. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. I want, to, want you to notice something. Once they throw Daniel in the lion's den, we don't hear any details. That's interesting to me. That's good writing, by the way. Creates suspense, doesn't it? But what does it tell us? It tells us about the king. The king's undone. The king doesn't want anything normal. He's just thinking about Daniel. Can you imagine living in such a way that you would be missed by someone who doesn't believe in your God? 
He's, he can't eat. He doesn't want any of his entertainment. And first thing in the morning, notice what happens. It's a powerful thing. It says, at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. I mean, he's feeling this deeply. Daniel, here's the word, servant of the living God. Huh, I know whose servant you are. To whom you serve, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, first time we hear him talk in the whole chapter, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Do you think the lions were hungry? They were hungry when Daniel went in, but God shut the mouth of the lions. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. Look at this next verse. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius, that is, the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Let me just tell you that many people have made a lot about how there's a comparison to Jesus and Daniel. In order to rescue and save us, Jesus also went through something difficult. And what he did is even more far-reaching than Daniel. Both set their face towards Jerusalem. Both withdrew to a quiet place three times in the critical hour. Both were conspired against and betrayed. Both were betrayed by rulers, though no fault could be found. The stone was set over the mouth of the cave-like place they were placed. And it also, excuse me, uh, it was sealed. When the stone was removed, both were found to be alive and not dead. Both were kept by the mighty power of God. And both trusted God, one without wounds and one with wounds. So that by his wounds, we might be saved. So when we think of here to serve, we think that the God, the king we serve, is one who served us first and now invites us to serve with him. Here to serve. And the Bible says is that he rescues and saves some people from death and some people who trust in him through death. Hebrews 11 says that while some were able to shut the mouths of lions with their faith, others were tortured, sought in two, imprisoned, but all of them trusted in God that went through that. And that was a powerful, powerful thing. They understood it's not about me. It's about him and knowing him. I want him more than I want my own interest. Oh God, keep recalibrating my heart so that I can live here to serve. And I need to tell you that I don't always live with a here-to-serve spirit. 
and you probably don't either. So you're probably wondering, what would God do with an ordinary person like me, like he did with Daniel? What can we learn? And what I want you to see, if you're following along, this next section is the power of continually. The power of continually. Did you notice that? Twice, King Darius says, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually. I've been watching you. You stand out, and I know something about you. You don't just serve God when it's convenient. You don't just serve God when it's easy. You serve God continually. You have built some patterns, some practices in your life that help you when hard stuff comes. Has your God whom you serve continually rescued you? What an interesting thing. So here's what I want you to see about continually. Serving God faithfully. We talked about that the very first week. Daniel knew that that was what he was called to do. Here to serve God faithfully, no matter what. But if we're going to, serving God faithfully begins by serving him continually. If you want to be able to serve God faithfully tomorrow, no matter how hard it gets, you got to make a decision to serve God continually now, today. You know that, don't you? I was thinking, I, I, I'm not, you know, uh, been kind of busy this morning, so I haven't had a chance to see what's going on in Wimbledon. But I know that the two guys that are playing tennis right now, do you know how many hours they have done the same thing over and over and over and continually? And that's what this word means if you're following along in the definition. Wimbledon, I mean, excuse me, continually. (laughs) Something on my mind here. I love tennis. Continually means to repeat regularly without quitting. To repeat regularly without quitting. It's something that you practice over and over and over again. And sometimes you feel like it and sometimes you don't. Sometimes it's really exciting to do it. Sometimes it's as hard as anything you've ever done. But when you and I begin to do something continually, there are ways that you and I can build into our life a kind of character, an excellent spirit through disciplines and practices, customs. You know, the Bible says, is that you and I can pray without ceasing. You know, the New International Version says pray continually. It's another way to interpret it. Learn how to pray continually. Learn how to repeat, not just mindless prayers, but learn how to talk to God over and over again. Talk to me, how do we do this? You know, I mean, I've talked, told you that for me, praying is learning how to acknowledge him wherever I find myself and what I'm doing. I got out of the car this morning on the parking lot, and I was amazed the sun was shining. I went... Whoa, I just thought, I need to acknowledge you. Praise you, Lord. And yesterday, when it was raining yet again, I remember thinking, oh God, praise you, Lord. Help me appreciate the rain and the sun. But show me how to do that repeatedly, no matter what the weather is. Here's another question. Do I continue if there's no feeling or fireworks? Do I continue? Are there certain things in my life that I continue whether it's, there's feeling or where there's not. One of the biggest things God's had to teach me in my life is that following Christ is not about feeling him close. Oh, I love it when I do, but it's bigger than that. Feelings, they're okay, but they're not reliable. They come and go. I appreciate feelings. God made our feelings, but we're not to be controlled by our feelings. But in, we live in a culture that tells us to do what we feel all the time. And so it militates against this idea. And some of us have felt that. And we can tell that one of the reasons we stay shallow sometimes is because we do what we feel 
instead of doing regularly what's good for us and what will prepare us to be faithful. And so as I think about that, here's some verses. Jesus, I love this. Luke 4, 16, it says, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. This wasn't something he all of a sudden said, you know, I think it'd be great to go to the synagogue today. I think I'll give that a go. No, he said, this is what I do. This is a regular part of my life. Uh, Gathering together like you're doing right now. I don't know if it's regular for you, but the Bible says that's a good practice to make regularly. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, let us consider how to stir up one another towards love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day when Jesus will return drawing closer. So in other words, it's just saying, look, make sure you build that regular habit in your life. How many of us have gone through the times when, you know, Sunday mornings, we might be in a chapter of our life where we go, it's a coin toss. I'll see how I'm feeling tomorrow. And then I'll decide. And sometimes we've almost not gone because we go, you know, I'll do it next week. But we decide to go ahead and come and gather like this. And God met us and recalibrated our hearts. He showed us some things we would have missed if we hadn't had a regular appointment in our life like that. Am I saying that that makes you superior to somebody else? Of course not. I'm just saying those are some of the gifts, the practices God's given us to discipline ourselves. Look at this verse, 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, if you would. It says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, let's read the underlined part. Train yourself to be godly. And it'll go on. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. It's saying you're not wasting your time when you train yourself to be godly. By the way, when some of us hear train yourself to be godly, we hear train yourself to be weird. That's not what it means. It means train yourself to be God-centered. Train yourself so that God is first, even when you're tempted to let your own interests be first. You can actually train your heart, you can train your mind through certain practices to recalibrate like that. Take advantage of them. So I've talked to you about, you know, that you and I can gather together. There's other disciplines that I was thinking about. What are yours, by the way? What do you do continually? Some of you might say, I drink coffee first thing every morning. It's not a bad thing. That's something you do continually. Others of you have said, oh, I never go a single morning without reading the newspaper every day. It's a regular pattern for me. You could name some other ones. What are the regular patterns in your life that help you serve the living God? What are they? I was asking some people this week, and and one uh, lady said to me, she said, well, you know, my kids are younger, so we have this practice that we do quite often, and that's when we get in the car to go to school, or start our errands for the day, we just pause and we pray. I've taught our kids, let's just acknowledge God first thing. And she said, you know, this summertime, we've kind of gotten out of whack of that, and I can tell the difference when I do and when I don't. And she found herself saying, I had to come back to that and be regular with that again. Can you relate to that? Some of you, you know that the power we say about being in the Bible every day I don't just mean, you know, wrote 
or okay, I'll read it, check. Talking about being in the Bible, saying, oh God, recalibrate my life. I live in a world that swims against that. Show me how to know you. Show me how to want you more than anything else. Some, a lady after the last service said to me, oh my goodness, I try and meditate on scripture. Can I just tell you, when I was in college, I went through about two or three months where there was no feeling. God felt millions of miles away. But during that time, I knew it was a character moment of truth for me, and I remember just writing down some scripture passages, including lamentations. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And I remember reading those. You know what? Every time I've gone through a chapter now where there is no feeling between me and God, I have come back to those passages again and again because they've helped me. But I, have, I had to learn how to keep doing things regularly even when it was hard. And you probably do too. Some of you have learned that it's good to train yourself that you can serve the living God with the money he's entrusted you. Not just some of it, all of it. How you manage all of it is the way to serve God. But one of the things he asks us to do is to return the first 10% plus offerings. And when you and I begin to do that, we build God's kingdom instead of our own when we do it in the right heart. And you and I can grow in that discipline. And some of you know that sometimes when things up and down, it's hard to stay regular or tempted to not do that. Another one is just praying. And you know what? We've talked about praying. Here's Acts, A-C-T-S-S, here on the screen. Do we have that? There we go. And we've talked about how a lot of times God wants to teach us how all day long to adore, confess, thank him, supply, ask him to supply what we need. But that last one, submission, that's what really helps calibrate our heart. You say, oh God, I'm here to serve you, not here to serve me. It's powerful. So one more thing. Here's this last thing. Is no matter what, will I choose the cumulative effect of serving you continually? Will I choose the cumulative effect of serving you continually? You know, what makes it hard some days is that you can't necessarily see it making any difference. But it does. And sometimes we just do it one day at a time, and then sometimes God gives us the privilege of looking back and saying, I allowed that to happen in your life because you kept doing something regularly, and as you did, it started to add even more of a cumulative effect of how that worked. 20 years ago, Trish and I moved back to Springfield, and I felt like I was supposed to continue a practice I'd started in Iowa when I was a pastor there, and I gathered with a small group of people to pray in this room, back in Outer Park then, and we just began to pray, and we just began to say, God, we don't know how this works. We believe as we call on your name, you'll do more in our services, in our church, in our families, if we'll call on your name in some specific way. Some of you also do this during the week. And one day, God just showed me, across the ticker of my mind, Jeff, have you ever thought about how the cumulative effect of that, doing that regularly, has changed you, recalibrated your heart, but have you ever stopped to think that that's sometimes why my spirit moves so powerfully in different times in our church family and during the week? And I just praise him for that. I'm so glad. And I see the power of the practices. What's one that he's asking you to do or to continue? What might it look like? Have you thought about how powerful it is if you will just continually serve him? Thank you.
Uh, last weekend, Trisha and I had the opportunity to be with her family at Green Lake, Wisconsin. And on Sunday afternoon, I was sitting out on the dock with my father-in-law, who turned 80 in March. A man who I deeply respect. A man who my wife has told me she remembers as a little girl and a teenager coming out into the living room and seeing him with his open Bible on his lap. A man who with his wife has had unwed mothers stay in their home for over 10 years who serve with Compassion International for children that need hope. And I just appreciate this guy. So I was sitting on the dock, and he was talking about how challenging it is to be 80 already. And he said, you know, certain things are coming clearer to me that weren't clear when I was young. He said, when I was a little boy in Chicago, my, great, my grandmother, in her kitchen, I would often be there and I'd be eating cookies in her kitchen and she had this embroidered little saying there on the screen, only one life, twill. I remember he took his fingers and said, twill. I remember being struck as a boy, twill. Twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. He says, I'm, I'm understanding that better now and I just thanked him for being faithful, for continuing, even when it looks hard. And so we just want to give a little space for you to let your heart be calibrated. What do you want in life? Do you want your interests to win the day, or do you want the King of Heaven, Christ Jesus? Use this time. I want to just pray for you because some of you, you know, you're trying to figure out what are the practices God wants me to sharpen at work, my home, when I'm alone? How can I live in such a way that I am continually trying to live with this serve, here to serve, Lord, here to serve you? So let me pray. There's always people down front after the service that'll be glad to pray with you. Now, Lord, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters and our guests who are who are trying to understand how you might want them to apply this message. And I thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit, which is so penetrating and so encouraging and so helpful. And I ask, Lord, that you would show us this week how we can continue and not quit. If there's anybody here that's having a hard time, encourage their heart by your Spirit. Urge them not to quit, but to continue. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.